today. 80% of businesses don't sell. To be a part of the 20% that do, and at maximum value, you'll need a successful strategy. Welcome to the Defenders of Business Value podcast, where we interview today's top professional advisors who help business owners create, preserve, and most importantly, transfer value. If you want actionable tips that will increase your business value, stay tuned. The podcast starts now with your host, Ed Mysoglad. On today's show, I'm delighted to visit with Rod Burkert. Rod is a friend of mine I've known for, gosh, it has to be at least 20 years plus. Uh, he has been in the valuation community for so long, and everyone coming up through the valuation ranks would take his classes. And he is just one of those guys that is always at the forefront of what's going on. He's written uh, and contributed a number of articles and just some thought leadership. So the reason I asked him on is that his practice is changing a little bit. And for the last nine years, he's been traveling in an RV. He basically has a mobile valuation practice. And the other side of his practice is that he's coaching appraisers. And that's why I asked him to come talk because he has a regular newsletter that, um, that I follow along and we've been talking about appraisers and what is an ideal appraiser. And that's where he comes in. So I get this question a lot. Who is a good appraiser? How do I recognize one and where do I find him? And that's why I asked Rod to come on, because he is just one of those guys that, again, through his coaching practice, he's identifying those people that uh, are niching down and you know are the, the best of the best in particular industries. And so that's where he comes in and where our conversation takes off. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Rod Burkert. I'm your host, Ed Meisigland. I teach business owners how to build value and identify and remove risks in their business so that one day they can sell their business at maximum value when they want, how they want, and to whom they want. On today's show, I'm excited to welcome Rod Burkert of Burkert Valuation Advisors. Rod has been a business valuation practitioner since the late 1980s. In July of 2000, he started Burkert Valuations in Philadelphia where he ran a traditional valuation practice for 10 years. And then in March 2010, my favorite part of his journey is that he began traveling full-time throughout the United States and Canada in an RV with his wife and dogs. So today he runs a mobile consulting firm that includes his valuation practice and coaching business, all of which he built by leveraging his professional network and social media, hiring virtual assistants, and making technology work for him. So welcome to the show, Rod. Hey, Ed. Thanks for having me. Oh, man. It, long time coming. I've, I've been looking forward to this interview for, for some time. I wanted to start off the interview with, I always get this question of how to find a good appraiser. And, you know, I, I think the older I get and the wiser I'm getting, I'm more selective in the engagements. I, I have enough experience to know when I have enough experience. So how do you find a good appraiser? When you say you, I mean, I'm assuming or I'm imagining you might mean from the perspective of say a business owner that needs Correct. an appraiser. Correct. Okay. So I would break that down into into three, com actually four components here. How do you find them? How do you evaluate them? How do you select them? And what makes them good? How do you know they're good? So, you know, how do you find them? Well, I think it's like any other product or service. You're likely going to start with an online search and you're going to Google 
you know, business appraisers in Indianapolis, Indiana, for example, to find out at least who's in your neighborhood, who's in your geographic area, if that's important to you. Um, another way that you're going to try and find someone is to ask for recommendations from friends or colleagues that may have gone through the business valuation process before. And I think the third way, the main way that you find somebody is maybe you saw them speak to or write for your industry organization, trade association, chamber of commerce kind of thing. And, and that's basically the way that I think you start your search, you know, start you, you know, they're at the top of the funnel and then you move on to, well, how do we evaluate them? And I think, you know, you, once you find the person, um, you go or their firm, you go to the website and most importantly on a website, I would say, do they have any case studies that showed how they solved problems like yours. Uh, another thing that you can do to evaluate um, pros your prospect is to go to their LinkedIn profile and see what kind of recommendations that they have. And, you know, I wouldn't necessarily trust recommendations from fellow business appraisers, but do they have recommendations from, uh, you know, someone who was clearly a client and said, hey, you know, Rod or Ed, they just, you know, they helped me sell my business. They did a great job. They were there every step of the way. You know, those are the kind of recommendations that you're are looking for. Um, you can certainly talk to references. I mean, you can ask for a reference from a business appraiser um, who, you know, if it's not apparent from their website um, or their LinkedIn profile, you can ask them, you know, give me the name of one or two or however many people you need to feel comfortable and give them a call and say, hey, what was it like working with Ed? Or what was it like working with Rod? How did they help you? And then the last piece is just finally selecting them, you know, and again, they may come, somebody may come highly recommended by those friends or colleagues that you talked to in, in the earlier step. Um, when you do talk to the appraiser, when you're interviewing them, and let's make it clear, you know, you should be interviewing them just like you would interview a, an attorney, or a banker or a CPA, we're all good, but are we the right fit? Um, so when you talk to them, can they make this complicated subject of business valuation seem understandable to you? And finally, I think you're, you know, when it comes to selection, you are looking for things that show that they can do what they say they can do. So you know, maybe they wrote a book on the subject. You've written a book. I've got, you know, we've got a couple of friends in the business valuation industry that have written books um, related to transition planning or exit planning or gifting or whatever the need might be. And the very last thing would be that I would consider um, would be, do they have the requisite valuation credentials and certifications? I personally don't think a uh, credential or certification will make a good appraiser great for you, but at least you know that if they have these certifications or credentials, they went through some kind of minimum training uh, to to earn that credential. I guess, like right from the get go, on on you know, you Google an appraiser, and I am fighting more, and I'm certain you are too. More and more people are, you know, those that are buying clicks 
and positioning, you know, it, not that it's, I don't have a problem with that's how you market. I guess I have a problem with that. It, you just create more noise for the business owner and it is just, you know, if you're not on the first page for whatever reason, I mean, it's, I mean, you're not there, you know, and it, and it's hard to, to fight that battle. Um, right. That kind of information has made, you know, made that this job of, of finding anything online, both easier and harder because there's more information. So there's more choices. But as you said, if you're not on the first page, you know, you're not going to look at all of the choices, just all of the choices on the first page, which is, you know, why I think, you know, recommendations from, you know, other business owners that have gone through the valuation process are really helpful. And, you know, again, it's why I think if you, if a business owner is attending an, uh, an industry organization or a trade association meeting or goes to their ma- monthly chamber of commerce presentations and they see somebody showing up there that speaks on the subject of valuation that addresses their problems, that's where you need to start. Yeah, I agree. I mean, 80% of our practice is, is coming from, you know, belly to belly work, not, uh, not just because Google says we're great kind of thing. So you coach business appraisers into designing ideal practices. And, and I've, I've been a beneficiary of, of some of your coaching. When we talk about, and you talk a lot about niching down. So when does this work and when doesn't it? Or it's, it's universal and it does. And, and that's who you need to appraise your company is somebody that's, that's in that industry, sleeping, eating and breathing it. So how do business owners know what's that right niche for, I mean, they know, they understand their business, of course, but how do they know that, that, that business appraiser? And I think you alluded to it on the previous question, but how can they know that? Sure. Well. I find it hard to imagine a situation where niching does not work. And there are two ways that, you know, you can, that a business appraiser can niche their practice. They can be niched in a practice area. Um, So in this particular case, um, and given the purpose of your podcast, you know, you're going to be looking for someone who does exit planning as it relates to potentially selling or transitioning a business. I have a coaching client. Um, The only thing she does is act as a transaction advisor. She doesn't do valuation work for any other kind of deal or any other kind of transfer. Um, She's not, you're not going to hire for her. You're not going to hire her for divorce purposes. You're not going to hire her for gift or estate tax purposes. What she has is a demonstrable track record in successfully selling businesses. And then the other, the other piece of that, Ed is, you know, specializing in a particular industry niche. Now, you know, to the, your business owners out there, are they in some kind of particular business that's peculiar or particular? I mean, even from the standpoint of how revenue is recognized, you know, um, do you know is there certain accounting peculiarities that somebody needs to know about in order to successfully value a particular kind of company so you might you know you the business owner might be looking for someone 
that niches in the area of exit and transition planning or exit or transition planning, successfully selling businesses in a particular industry niche because of the nuances related to your industry that aren't very well known outside of that. So you can't have, you know, just as a silly example, maybe, but you can't have, you know, somebody that spends a lot of time valuing automobile dealerships, uh, imagining that they're going to successfully uh, value and sell a veterinary practice. Well, it's funny you say that. I mean, because a lot of the appraisers that I talk to, it's like, well, earnings are earnings. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's really not the case. Um, and, you know, if, if if that was the case, we we wouldn't see such a disparity in multiples and, and so on and so forth. But yeah, people and appraisers both. I think they like the idea of niching into a into a practice, but I think that there is so much more, you know, I got to put food on the table kind of thing. And and let the business owner beware kind of, you know, situation. I don't, I don't think, I, I think it's a, a, a tremendous disservice to them, but, but at the same time, I mean, you know, in our practice, you know, we, we see a lot of different businesses and, and we've got, you know, just by virtue of, of being around as long as we have, we we've, we've had, you know, opportunity and like you, I mean, we've had opportunities to see lots of different types of, of businesses. And, and so, you know, it's hard, you know, at the end of a transaction when, you know, that the disbelief that the business owner had at that time is now turned to, yeah, I'm really sorry. I, I'm really sorry. I implied your incompetence. I, and, right. and, and that, that's a good feeling. I'm certain you, uh, you like it too. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, you know, there's two things that, that your comments just made me think of. Number one, I think it's more important to have, a, a niche, whether it be a practice area or industry niche, if you are a, you know, solo or a one or two person valuation firm, because there's just no way that your, your knowledge can span all of the possibilities that could come to you. And I think specialization might be less of an issue if you're engaging a firm and they have champions for different practice areas or industry niches that could help you out. But at the end of the day, I still think it comes back to, you know, a business, like you said, you know, business owner, beware, you have to determine or you know, they have to make sure that the person that they hire has a track record of solving their problem multiple times successfully. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, you know, you've got to do your homework. And, and I think one of the biggest things that I tell, you know, the uh, practitioners that I work with is, do you have, you know, two or three or four case studies on your website that somebody can identify with? And when they look at those case studies, they immediately say, Rod is capable of solving the problem that I have or Rod is not, you know, but maybe I'll reach out to him because he might know somebody who is or I just need to continue searching. Yeah, well, I'll tell you. And and that's a that's a great point, because I, I think early on in my career, I mean, I, I paid I paid some serious tuition for not knowing what I didn't know. And mm-hmm. and I'm and I made that assumption. And and I was fortunate that uh the guy on the other side was real generous with me and, and, uh, you know, showed me the, the error of my ways. And, 
and I mean, and he was eloquent. He had he had an opportunity to just do some some serious uh, reputational damage, and he he didn't. But you know, he was probably forty years my my senior, so he had seen people like me before. And I think this was it. <laughs> you weren't his first rodeo. No, no, not at all. But uh, but like I said, boy, I wish it was easier to find those people because I think that the business owners that are coming coming in. Uh, again, they have a problem, but the problem is that they don't know the extent of the problem to search appropriately. You know what I mean? And I, I think that's what you were saying before. Is, all right, you, you find case studies, you Google your industry business valuation. And the problem is, you know, the the uh, search terms how to is now uh, a real challenge in, in this valuation community of ours because, you know, all the do it yourselfers now, which leads me into my Next question is these online calculators mm-hmm. and, and you and I both have, uh, you know, just a disdain for, for commoditizing the industry and, you know, and good on them because I mean, they're taking advantage of something that we should be doing, but this isn't going away. So I, I, I guess, um, if I'm a business owner, I mean, what makes me not want to say, all right, you know, I don't, I, I'll save the money and I get, I get this number and I get it in about, I don't know. 40 seconds after I fill out, you know, their questions. So what makes me want to do that? Yeah, I, you know, I, I've got some pros and cons and I don't know if I have an answer. Um, but let me just tell you what my thoughts are on, on what your question is. Cause you know, first of all, I don't, there is no guarantee that a, you know, 10 or $15,000 professionally prepared report is going to produce a more accurate value than an online calculator. I mean, we hope it would, but who knows? Because, you know, our experience tells us that, you know, we go to litigation in the litigation a lot of times because two supposed experts, and I'm putting air quotes around experts, have come up with a widely divergent set of values. And that's why we're, you know, that's why we're in court. And, um, you know, so there, there is no guarantee that an online calculator won't produce a good result or a close result. And I think that is part of the problem because the business owner many times, um, from what I've seen, Ed, you can corroborate this or not, but many times I feel like the business owner is being guided by their trusted advisor, an attorney a banker, a CPA, and they're saying, hey, you know, this online calculator is good enough. For what you need, it is good enough. So what's a business owner to do? You know, risk, you know, at one end of the spectrum, there is a free or near free solution. And at the other end of the spectrum, there's a 10 or $15,000 solution. It's their money, not ours. And, you know, are they, are they willing to take the risk? Uh, Because they are, you know, they are risking their money. They're being, you know, the service may be recommended by somebody that they would otherwise trust you know, that attorney, that banker, that CPA in any other situation. So I think if there is a compelling argument for not going the online calculator route, which I don't think many people think of, but if you have got a problem, who do you call? 
<laughs> you know, yeah. because it's online. It's like it's like the whole of customer support that we sometimes feel <laughs> like we've fallen into. Like if you get the result and you're like, you know, you're you're absolutely jumping through hoops because the value is so high or you're dejected because the value is so low. Who explains it to you? You know, whereas if you're hiring a real live business appraiser, they are going to be there after the report is delivered. They'll be happy to answer your questions. They'll be happy to tell you why the value is so high or probably more often why the value is so low. And even more importantly, what you need to do to, you know, what were the value detractors that you need to fix between now and some future sale date? And I don't know how you get that kind of support from an online calculator. Yeah, you know what? And I'm with you. And you, I don't know if if you saw the uh, the recent article on um, that real estate appraisers are that you can have your up to I think it's four hundred thousand dollars. They do not require uh, an on site appraisal as they used to. Now they can use algorithms and such and use an online calculator for, for lending purposes. And from a, from a business appraisal standpoint, I mean, that's our, that's our uh, leading indicator of what's coming down the the path for appraisal as well as brokerage. So, well, my response to that, Ed, and I know exactly what you're talking about is when those real estate appraisals are being done, um, you have, I, my thought is that they're being done in the context of a portfolio. You know, if you're looking at, you know, 10, 20, 100 properties, some of them may be high, some of the values may be low, but on average, the portfolio is okay. The problem is the business owner doesn't have a portfolio of businesses. He or she has one business and that value has to be dead on or there's going to be a problem. No, you're right. I don't know how much money you've made off of unwinding online calculator valuations when they, they get into the sale. But I've, I've helped a number of business owners understand what they purchase. Now, everybody has to pay a little bit of tuition and, and, and I get it and I understand why they did it. Um, but as I've always termed it, we don't just provide a report. You know, in fact, we're, we minimize the reporting. We do PowerPoints. We do presentations. So, you know what? Ask your questions. This is, I can communicate a heck of a lot better in person um, or online about your business and let you ask your questions as, as we start and then as we finish and, and the results and why. And I, and I think that that's come from you too. I think you're, you PowerPoint pretty much everything that you're doing uh, unless a report's required, don't you? Correct. Yeah. Correct. What you're saying, though, remind, maybe you've seen this ad, um, you know, there's a barbershop in a small town and um, all of a sudden a competitor opens, you know, down the street, across the street. And it's the big sign says five dollar haircuts. And the original barbershop reacts by putting up a sign that says we fix five dollar <laughs> haircuts. And. You know, again, I, I, I really have a lot of respect for many of these, um, you know, online valuation platforms. Uh-huh. But, you know, you're right. I mean, we can be in the business of fixing 
those of the those type of reports, those types of valuations. Well, like I said, it's not going away. I mean, it's it's buyer it's buyer beware, and 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 that's okay. It, it's almost like not knowing what the nutritional aspects of the food you're eating are. You know, you just kind of get a can of something. And, you know, it says, you know, this is food versus here are the ingredients that made up your the meal that you're getting ready to eat. And I know that, um, you know, our standard line is, hey, you know, you, you know, to the business owner, you've spent a ton of years building up what might very well be the most valuable asset that you have at this point. Do you want to entrust the valuation to you know, a $500 or free online calculator. Right. And, and let's not also forget that, you know, these online platforms, they're actually making inroads with the bankers. So there's a, there's an incentive and, and possibly a conflict of interest, although I've never heard it, this coming out yet, where the banker may be recommending an online valuation platform in which that banker or the bank somehow benefits um, as opposed to recommending, you know, an, a, an independent third party business appraiser. Oh no, it, it's, it's happening a, a lot. I mean, so in through the exit planning world, I mean, we're seeing so many more sponsors and some of these online platforms are showing up as, as sponsors. So, you know, it's working to start that conversation. And again, that ultimately it's good from the standpoint of it starts the conversation, but the problem is that it's not what you think it is in order to get you across the finish line. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's my rub. So we talked a little bit about the crystal ball for the industry. I mean, what I think we can agree that it, it's not going away, but where does this end for us? Well, I think um, my, th- just my own personal opinion, I think there will always be some type of work, some type of valuation required for dispute work, um, including divorce work. Um, I think there will necessarily be valuations for transactions, sales of individual businesses, because there's just so money, so much money at stake. You know, it's hard for me to believe that the owner of a, you know, 20 or $50 million revenue business is going to put his or her hands in the fate of an online calculator. Um, But, you know, for, you know, for a few hundred thousand dollar revenue business, I mean, number one, I'd say, sure, I get it. And number two, they're probably not our kind of client anyhow. Um, but I do think that, oh, and the third area that I, I think valuation of intellectual property is going to be something that the the, the online calculators aren't going to be able to handle. But I, you know, I have a hard time believing from both a data availability and just the efficacy of doing the work that 10 years from now we're going to be you know our industry is going to be doing business valuations for fair value for accounting purposes or even gift and estate tax purposes i mean when you look at the process it is so inefficient it costs so much money it takes so much time that i think you know, either data's, you know, either big data is going to take away such a large part of this uh, of this work, um, or the need for it. You know, the accounting regu- the accounting standards will change, and we won't be doing valuations for fair value anymore. The gift and estate tax will go away, or the exemption is going to be so high 
that, you know, very few of those businesses are going to need to be valued. But the ongoing dispute work, the ongoing transaction work, I think there's always going to be a need for experts in this area who are going to show up, um, help you with the value, testify as to the value, hold your hand through the valuation process. And, you know, right now, maybe it's because of my age, I can't see us getting through that period without a live person. I agree. So moving on to business value, um, I mean, what are the habits that a business owner uh, must do to increase their business value? Well, I think Chris Mercer put a, has a concept that was either in a book or he's written some blog posts about it. But, you know, if you have a portfolio of, of investment assets that you place with an asset manager, um, normally that asset manager charges one to 2% of the total assets under management to make sure, and, and you happily pay that. Um, knowing that somebody is looking out for you. And what Chris Mercer proposes is that, you know, business owners spend one to two percent a year of their revenues on things like making sure the buy sell agreement is updated, make sh- making sure your human resources policies are current, making sure that you're in compliance with all of OSHA type regulations, again, depending on the, the kind of business that you have. And I think Ultimately, this comes down to two things, you know, working on your business instead of in your business. I know that that is a very trite expression, but very true. And I think, you know, don't be afraid to hire consultants that are smarter than you to maximize the value of the business before you have to sell it, because there's always going to be somebody who knows something um, about your business that you know, they're going to be more of an expert in some aspect of your business that you are not. And I think the last thing, you know, the other habit is, um, you know, you have a retreat with yourself two or three times a year to check your navigation and goalscape where you're headed. You know, what's changed? I mean, so often, you know, they're, you know, our business owners, when we meet with them, they're busy, busy, busy but they're always busy working in their business and, and not actually on it, not, not navigating it, not thinking about what's the plan here and in how long you know, are we going to start to pull different triggers to position the business for sale. Yeah, and I'm certain you, you've uh, read James Clear Atomic Habits. Mm-hmm. And you know, just doing that one thing, and it doesn't have to be long but, or take a lot of time, but just Picking one thing and just start down that path, whether it's blocking 10 minutes or even five minutes and just start there. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you and uh, I'm, I'm big on quarterly retreats. I, I'm, uh, I had one uh, just this past Friday doing the, the, the same thing, kind of figuring out where this is heading and where uh, we can add the greatest value. So. Talk about your practice. I mean, we've been talking about uh, what's going on in the valuation community, but what are you doing? What uh, what's your sweet spot? You know, where where are you going from here? Well, I've had you know, I've been doing valuations in what I tell people in one way, shape, or form since the mid to late 1980s. I've had my own practice since um, 2000, so I guess you know, July of uh, I just celebrated 19 years of a, being a solo practitioner and my practice almost from the beginning has been targeted towards 
tax purpose valuation. So gift and estate taxes, charitable contribution, S corporation elections, um, primarily for manufacturers and distributors. And that's because part of my career was spent working for a Fortune 500 specialty steel manufacturer. And I held some different positions in that Fortune 500 company that allowed me to get out into the mill with a hard hat and steel tip shoes and see how the steel was produced and understand manufacturing lineups to putting together marketing plans for the product managers that actually had to sell the steel um, to ultimately working in the financial reporting area so that we could report the results of selling this deal. So, you know, I've always had a, you know, either a sweet spot or a weak spot for manufacturers and distributors. It's what I understand. I know the lingo um, early on in my career, business owners would tell me that, you know, it was clear from the way that I talked to them that I really understood their business. I, I've never done ESOPs. I've never done healthcare. I've never done fair value for financial reporting because, you know, I believe in my own philosophy of, of having a niche and sticking to it. As these business owners are listening to you, I mean, are you taking on clients or what does your avatar look like that would immediately you would recognize as a good fit? Obviously, manufacturing. That's it. I mean, okay. I really, that's my specialty. I, um, you know, I would love to be able to say if you need me to help you sell your business, you know, but I would recommend you instead. I mean, that's not my it. It's within my wheelhouse to help do that, but it's not my specialty. So, for example, going back to one of our earlier questions about how do you pick somebody, you know, what's your problem? What are you trying to accomplish? Are you looking for an appraiser to just value the business and walk away? Do you want somebody to help with the negotiation, someone to help with the due diligence, someone that's going to, you know, like I said, negotiate terms and conditions, actually take you to closing? That's not me. I'm, I'm going to be the person that, that walks out the door after the valuation is done. Um, I suspect somebody like you and your firm is the whole soup to nuts from valuation to closing that um, somebody could be looking for. Yeah. Um, you know, go back to that old Clint Eastwood movie, Ed, um, you know, a man's got to know his limitations. <laughs> And, and I know mine and I've never been sued and for malpractice and, or errors and omissions of any kind. And part of that reasoning is, is I stick to my knitting and, and, and I really enjoy the manuf you know, valuing the manufacturers and distribu and distributors. Yeah. And you're certainly known throughout the community of just that, that niche and, and doing it that well. Um, I want to be sensitive to your time. So my, my, my final question is that I think people would be shocked to learn that uh, you've been traveling you know, for nearly 10 years in an RV. And so you have a, a mobile consulting practice out there. So, so can you talk a little bit about what's it like living on the road for all of us envious people? <laughs> yeah, I mean, clearly it's, it's not for everyone. I mean, people come up to me and say, I don't know how you can stand living in such a small space, you know, with your wife and your dogs. And I'm, I am now at the point where I look back and say, I don't understand how you can live in a house that doesn't <laughs> go anywhere 12 months out of the year. Um, you know, we follow the weather. I mean, that's primarily our goal. I mean, there's different places and things that we want to see. 
but it's all governed by weather. So, you know, in the winter time for the United States, we head south. And in the summertime, we head north. And, you know, you're traversing east and west as you go and you see the different things. And it works for us. I mean, I, you know, I will tell you that, you know, like you said, we've been doing it for almost 10 years. The available tools and technology are huge enablers. You know, even when we got started 10 years ago, Internet was always a crapshoot. I mean, we might pull up in front of the most beautiful spot that you could ever imagine to point the RV at to see a sunrise or a sunset. My immediate reaction was to pull up my cell phone and see how many bars of service that I had. Today, today you don't do that anymore. I mean, you know, you can get Internet almost everywhere. And, you know, recently I posted a picture of where we are. And, you know, we are outside of Hot Springs, South Dakota. Hot Springs is south of Custer, south of Rapid City. We are looking out on the most beautiful reservoir and just out of out of sight of the photo that I took was a Verizon tower. I mean, you know, we're kind of we're kind of pretty far removed. It takes us an hour to drive up to the nearest big city, which is Rapid City. And we've got killer Internet. And that's, you know, so for phone and for the computers, that's really the main thing that you need to be in. I, you know, for a service business like mine, that's the main thing you need to have to be in business today. And, you know, as the networks get more and more filled out, it's just easier and easier to do. Yeah. Well, one of the one quote that that um, that resonates with me based on, uh, on on what you just said was that homes are graves for the living. And I don't know who said it, but I, I, <laughs> I saw it and, and I wrote it down. I couldn't, and I can't remember whether it was Tim Ferriss or, or some, one of those, uh, podcasts that I listened to that, uh, they were saying that. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm certainly envious of what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, and again, it's not for everyone, but what I, you know, it is what I tell people it's our cup of tea. We imagined it into reality, but many people think. You know, they have what I call their RV equivalent of a cup of tea, you know, and what's holding them back from from doing that, because yeah. life is short. Even if you're a business owner, it, you know, life is short. You can run a business from just about anywhere. Um, if you have a goal or a dream that's not truly business related, how can you possibility think yourself into doing both at the same time? Right. Well, like I said, I, I want to be sensitive to the time. So. So my final question is, so what's the best way we can connect with you? Yeah. So my, you know, my website is rodburkert.com. And so the email is just rod at rodburkert.com. And if you are a hanger out on LinkedIn, you'll also find me there. I'm really active on LinkedIn. So you can message me and you'll be sure to get a response. So email, website, and LinkedIn, three best ways. Got it. So I'll, uh, I'll make sure that we have uh, links in the show notes to uh, everywhere where that you're hanging out. So it's easy to find you. So Rod, thank you for uh, being a defender of business value and being so generous with your time and experiences to help business owners maximize their value. I hope you'll come back uh, soon and visit some more. Uh, love that. Love to come back. You just let me know when or where, and I'll make myself available. Right on. Well, thanks so much and safe travels. All right. Take care, Ed. Thank you. 
Thank you for joining the Defenders of Business Value podcast. If you're preparing your business for sale, visit LegacyTransitionAdvisors.com or text EXIT to 35893 to begin your journey to maximum saleable value. If you want more episodes packed with strategies to transfer maximum value in your business, visit DefendersOfBusinessValue.com. Better yet, subscribe now so you don't miss the future episodes. This program is copyright Legacy Transition Advisors, LLC. All rights reserved.